welcome to Ground Control Parenting, a blog and now a podcast created for parents raising black and brown children. Why ground control parenting? Because we're not trying to be helicopter parents, but we do need to be on that tarmac, that ground control crew, making sure our children have what they need for a successful takeoff. I'm the creator and your host, Carol Sutton Lewis. In this podcast series, I'll be talking with some really interesting people about the job and the joy of parenting. I am so excited that our guest today is my dear friend, Crystal McCrary-McGuire. Crystal is an award-winning film director and producer, a best-selling author, an attorney, and she's mom to three children, Cole Anthony, who is 19, Ella Anthony, 17, and Leo McGuire, 7. Welcome to Ground Control Parenting, Crystal. So excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here, Carol. Well, you are such a perfect guest for our podcast because you can talk about parenting little kids and big kids, <laughs> the whole spectrum. So first, I just want to say a little bit more about your children. Your eldest son, Cole, who's a freshman at the University of North Carolina, is a star basketball player for the North Carolina Tar Heels, and he has NBA recruiters already anxiously awaiting his eligibility for the draft. Your daughter, Ella, a high school junior, she's a junior. Senior. Senior. Wow. I'm dating myself. She's a, she's a senior now. It went fast. It did go really quickly. Is a standout basketball player as well, and she has serious hoop dreams as she considers college and beyond. At seven, Leo definitely knows his way around the court, but for now, he's going to stay in school first grade, second grade? First grade. First and grade. he's Leo's a chess player. Oh. Actually. Oh, yes. He's okay, a strategist. Cool. <laughs> okay, great. So I mentioned this all because... I want to talk to you about a little later, um, among other things, raising children who have intense passions, and particularly a child who has an early age. But first, I want to start with a little bit of your backstory. So as a way to begin these podcast conversations, I like to cite some parent advice that I often give. I say it's important to parent the child that you have, not the child you were or the one you want. So let's first talk about the child you were, little Crystal McCrary. <laughs> tell me, tell me about your family growing up. Wow. Well, I think, um, like most people, uh, my upbringing was uh, complex, mm -hmm. um, and each of us have our own um, complexities and family dynamics as um, loving as they can be. Um, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. I was raised by my maternal grandparents. My um, biological mother had me at a very young age um, and basically was not really able to take care of me mm -hmm. and, you know, left me with my, with my grandparents, you know, who I call mom and, and dad. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was with them for uh, the first six, seven years of my life and at that time, my biological mother started returning and popping back into the scene, and um, which was traumatic for uh, a variety of reasons and confusing, you know, for a seven, six-year-old. And I just basically knew my grandparents as my mom and dad. But, of course, we had bonded. And, you know, they had done all of the nurturing and the heavy lifting and the, and the loving and the vacations and the reading the books every night to me. So in some respects, it was sort of whipsaw because my, you know, grandparents slash parents really were like a black June and Ward Cleaver. <laughs> you know, um, she uh, was a school teacher, then a principal at a public school in Detroit. My dad, you know, served in World War II, came back, worked for Ford Motor Company for 40 years, 
So that was sort of my my background. So what I would say, you know, carrying it forward into adulthood, I had two models of parents. I had, on one hand, my grandparents, who to me were the ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I had periods of time where I was with my biological mother, who I called Vicky, or occasionally mom, because she would, you know, try to make me call her mom. And mm-hmm. I never knew her that way. Mm-hmm. I hadn't bonded with her in that way which was very uh, a very unstable background when I did spend time with her. I mean, mm-hmm. she had substance abuse issues. She had all sorts of crazy characters coming in and out of her life. Um, that was just very um, confusing and destabilizing and scary, mm-hmm. frankly, for mm-hmm. me as a kid. So I always knew, you know, when I had kids, if I was you know able to have kids, which I was blessed to be able to have three, that... Um, you know, it's kind of extreme to say this, but I, I always felt like I knew what I thought were the best type of parents mm-hmm. and I knew what I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it, it is. I often say, and this is proof positive, that one parents in part the way that they were parented. If you had a great childhood, you parent towards that. And if you had not a great child, you parent away from that. But you're the first person I've met that has managed to have both. <laughs> but fortunately, it sounds like that the, the you're living with your grandparents. I mean, I'll, I know you to refer to them as mom and dad. Yes. And so their imprint was, which is, was the imprint that lasted. Yes, indeed. And so that's actually a tribute to the early years, too, because from zero to seven, you knew the core, you, you developed the core of your uh, the, the loving, the caring. And so regardless of what happened afterwards, that wasn't taken away from you. So That's right. I, I definitely had a really solid foundation mm-hmm. from them. You know, the breakfast together every morning, dinner together every evening, mm-hmm. um, vacations. I mean, we it was sort of we ran like clockwork, mm-hmm. church every Sunday. Mm-hmm. Uh, birthday celebrated like clockwork was a very structured but loving and nurturing environment. And, you know, that reminds me of another issue that I think about a lot, and that is that two extremely thoughtful, smart, loving people, as parents, may not always produce the, the child that they think they would. I mean, in my family, I, my brother and I had the same parents, and we had vastly different childhoods. And so I imagine for your grandparents, it must have been really heartening on a deep level to be able to live the lives that they wanted to leave and lead and have a, a, a child, I don't want to say fall into line, but do respond as they would sure. have expected. In and, a way that their uh, firstborn, my biological mother, mm-hmm, did not. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. uh, again, the whole, you know, nature versus nurture, she was raised in this environment with two loving, stable, uh, devoted, hardworking, principled parents. And she uh, just took a path in life that um, just was, you know, really counter to the environment that she was being raised in, mm-hmm. which was a, mm-hmm. an environment that was loving and and really emphasized the importance of education mm-hmm. and integrity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Having witnessed that, as you became a parent, you knew two things. You knew first th- about that core. I mean, how that core, lo- what it looks like, how you can do it. But you also knew, you understood that 
it can go awry. You don't wish adversity on anyone, but it really can, if you can get through it, it provides you with some tools that ultimately you may need. Sure. I mean, I definitely um, have the adversity that I went through um, when I did have the periods where I was really kind of pulled away Mm -hmm. from, you know, physically from being in my grandparents' home. And again, that was very, Mm -hmm. that was certainly very traumatic. Right. (laughs) Um, But I I got to a point where I had my own agency and I could make my own decisions. Mm -hmm. I I stopped uh, having any communication Mm -hmm. with her um, because it was, it was that bad. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so, you know, projecting forward as as a parent, though, I certainly had that experience that informed what I did not want to do mm-hmm. as a parent. Mm-hmm. So um, I wanted to be as stable, as loving, as present, um, and, and, and just this whole notion of abandonment, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. just never abandon mm-hmm. them, which... Mm-hmm. Even though she, you know, quote unquote, abandoned me into the arms of my my grandparents, which I'm I'm thankful for that. There's still, as a child, you know that mm-hmm, there's mm-hmm. An, an abandonment, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm sure you know she probably emotionally wasn't well, but um, it really did inform uh, how I wanted to um, interact and be present and connect mm-hmm. with uh, with my children. Mm-hmm. So, so fast forward to your children. You have, you have Cole and Ella and, and, um, I should say that you were married to uh, uh, Greg Anthony at the time mm-hmm. and he was a professional basketball player. Mm-hmm. And so Cole and Ella are coming up in, um, a vastly different world than, than you did in the sense that their father is a celebrity, that they're sharing him with the world. And, and then lo and behold, each of them develops a, a passion for the sport. Mm-hmm. So let's start with Cole. Um, I know because I, I, I remember Cole from when he was younger that he always had a lot of energy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the spirited child. Thank goodness for the literature out there and a strong village of people around me to help raise that child. <laughs> he was, he was, he was bouncy. He was very, very spirited, very bouncy. So, did you try to steer that into a sport or was it that he was always sports minded? He was just always very high energy, mm-hmm. um, athletic at a very young age. He would, you know, by the time he could just sit in one spot, he could throw a ball overhand probably at six, seven months. He'd be <laughs> sitting in one spot, a ball would go in his hand. He'd throw it overhand like perfect form, <laughs> a really wow. young age. And he also walked at an early age. I, mean, I think he probably started walking around eight and a half months. Wow. Um, and he was uh, had more physical gifts uh, before he became verbal. Mm-hmm. And um, he was also very competitive at a, at a young at, age. Mm-hmm. At a, yeah, I didn't know what direction it was going to go in. But again, interestingly enough, our um, the first time I realized just how competitive he was. In, uh, but uh, <laughs> he was about three years old. And we were outside in the city um, with Jackson, 
mm-hmm. his buddy Jack, you know, Tanya's son, mm-hmm. Jackson Lee, <laughs> Jackson Lee, <laughs> and Jackson's like three and a half, four years older than Cole, and they decide to have a race from like one, you know, uh, east west block, which are the long blocks mm-hmm. in New York <laughs> City, um, and they raced their little hearts out, and Jackson won, but he won by a hair, and uh, Cole was inconsolable at three years old. He was just absolutely inconsolable. And we were, I was trying to calm down. Tanya was, Jackson was. We were like, you're only three. You know, you did a great <laughs> job. You know, you almost beat him. And he's he said, three and, ja- and Jackson's, Jackson's what? Seven or seven, eight. Okay. Seven or eight <laughs> years old. I mean, you know the difference <laughs> right. with that. And um, we were like, why are you so upset? And he said, my feet are supposed to be faster than his. Huh. At three years old. And so that was like my first clue as a mom, just how competitive he was. Mm-hmm. And at that point, we just knew that we had to get him involved in activities where he could have a physical outlet. So we exposed him to everything from, you know, the, the T-ball to soccer to basketball, um, dodgeball. I felt mm-hmm. bad for those other kids, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and so, did he yeah. land on basketball or did he do a lot of things? At some point, he got very intense about basketball. Yes, he did. Um, and part of that was um, more of a construct of how um, kids, competitive kids sports are going. So it used to be where the kids uh, that played sports in middle school or particularly high school, more so high school, they weren't getting involved in the sports as intensely at as young of an age as they do now. Mm-hmm. And they could play a sport. They could play three, four sports. Uh, and it just got to a point where... He loved basketball. We let him play a little football in middle school, which, of course, was I did not like because mommy <laughs> couldn't stand the head banging. Um, but it got to a point where if he was going to be serious about basketball, he just really needed to be competing mm-hmm. um, a, pretty much around the year because his competitors and his contemporaries were. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about Ella, who is also supremely talented in basketball. And we've talked about this before, but but her interests have gone around to a lot of different things. She didn't sort of start at three trying to play basketball. Did she pick it up a little later? Yeah, she was a late bloomer with basketball. I mean, Ella has had lots of other um, interests. Um, she just, you know, is intellectually curious. Mm-hmm. And she, great artist, great singer. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. she's That's right. She has the, a great voice. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, she really does. And she started playing basketball probably in, in seventh or eighth grade. Ah. And uh, that's, that's kind of late, you know, mm-hmm. for people who get serious about it. But since she has committed herself to basketball, though, I will say this. I mean, she's not, she's not necessarily the fastest. She's not the tallest. But nobody's going to work harder than her. She has this supreme work ethic. And so at the levels that she's been playing in high school and on the AAU circuit, she really has thrived. Mm-hmm. And she will play in college. Mm-hmm. She's going to do a post-grad year after graduating from high school. Mm-hmm. And so she'll do one more year. She's a young senior in high school to um, really sort of improve improve her craft. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. but what I will say just about raising kids that have talents, athletic or otherwise, and I've seen it with other friends who's children have um, high-level talents, whether they're a prodigy musically, mm-hmm. um, athletically, or chess players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have some parents who really just drive, 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 drive their kids. You know, again, I don't know enough about them to know whether or not the kids would have uh, become, you know, singers or, you know, 
super successful tennis players, but for their parents really pushing them mm-hmm. uh, relentlessly, or uh, if they would not have gone down that path. We've never been like that. We've never been relentlessly driving Cole mm-hmm. or Ella. He has let us know that, you know, call it, it was probably seventh or eighth grade where he said, okay, I just want to focus on basketball. I want that to be my sport. At that point, he had shown some level of talent. Mm-hmm. So at that point, he guided us. Uh, and then we said, so if you're going to do this, then you've got to put everything into it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. he continued to up the ante himself because of his interest and talent. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So... I imagine it was helpful, but not sort of the only thing to have watched, to have a parent that has gone through it. I mean, I noticed in the league, there are some uh, legacy basketball. Oh, yeah, there are a lot now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, um, Doc Riverson. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, that, that's Austin Rivers. I mean, lots. It, it makes, lots. Yes, and it makes sense. It makes sense for many fronts, but you can attain something. If you see something that is, that is attainable, it just gives you the confidence that it's not this pipe dream that, you know, you can't ever imagine. Well, you have to have the talent, too. Oh, because, absolutely. Right. right, right. And because that is such a, a tall order, such a, such a, a high bar, it goes without saying that for, in fact, you would think you would have more often someone following in the footsteps of a parent who is a professional that it wouldn't happen because there would be this expe- expectation, you know, and, and it, you fall short because you need more than just good DNA. That's right. <laughs> you need. Right. And and in addition to the personal drive, you also need a parent, a guardian, somebody who is schlepping you around to well, all, sure. to That's who is right. starting with you in middle school or whatever it starts and giving up all of their weekends and, right. and um, I mean, lovingly, but still yeah. <laughs> giving up. And then, but I will say this, Carol, just, I mean, sort of the insider peeling the layers back of this world what does happen with these high level basketball players and these don't even have to be players that are you know projected to play professionally basketball is such an industry now on the high school level it's mm-hmm. such a business that uh, parents many parents aren't even required or don't even necessarily go and schlep their kids around oh, on a high school level because you have these AAU teams that are sponsored, you know, financed by from from Nike. Nike's mm-hmm. the biggest on the mm-hmm. EYBL circuit. Nike or Adidas or Under Armour, mm-hmm. where um, for the at least on the boys basketball front, all of the expenses are paid. Mm. You know, and their travel teams too. It's so it's, it's not even so from just the parenting perspective of the parents schlepping around. Of course, the parents are still. Many of them are still going. Just the ante is is that much higher and mm-hmm. the stakes are higher and there are more eyeballs and it's college coaches coming and it's, you know, being filmed by various different outlets. And mm. it's just it's a business. Mm. Mm-hmm. So even when your kid's not getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I can imagine so many people have pipe dreams of their very talented eight year old. <laughs> being so good, continuing to be as good as everyone says that they are now, and that the path, there's a path to professionalism. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you get asked that a lot. And I'm sure you've seen the streets are littered with people who were trying and just couldn't make it, even couldn't even get to college to be recruited for college basketball. How do parents get to the moment to realize that their child may not be? Oh, 
Are you talking about like the dream killer moment? <laughs> I guess you may not have had it, but you may have been around other parents. I mean, because people who are listening who have these superstar kids, it's a long road from a superstar eight-year-old to sure. even getting them into sure. college. And more so. often, I mean, it, it's interesting because there's some kids, for instance, that Cole played basketball with, you know, in fourth and fifth. Uh, great. Like, remember my movie that I mm-hmm. the, I did, Little Ballers, for mm-hmm. Nickelodeon, and there was a group of kids. Cole was one of those kids in the film, and I think we filmed them when they were in fourth and fifth grade, and he wasn't even starting mm-hmm. in fourth mm-hmm. and fifth grade. There were, you know, a couple of kids who could have way better handle than him and better shooter and bigger and, you know, mm-hmm. faster mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And... um the majority of them from that team aren't even um, playing anymore. Oh, interesting, but mm-hmm. um, you know, and then a couple of the kids just didn't have any offers to play in college. So, so that changes. But it's interesting that you brought like some of these eight-year-old kids. Uh, you know, Ray and I were at a game. Leo also does play on a little, you know team, little basketball team. I'm just going to cut in and yes. say, because I haven't yet, that Ray is Ray McGuire, who oh, yes. is Crystal's husband and, yes. and happens That's to right. be a dear friend of mine and my husband's as well. But okay. So back, <laughs> you were saying Leo is playing. Yes. Um, uh, our son, Leo, who's seven years old, he's playing on a little team now. Mm-hmm. And he just enjoys it. He plays chess. He plays soccer. Again, we're just letting him be right. a kid and, mm-hmm. and have some fun and learn some di- discipline and teamwork, et cetera. But we were at a game the other day and one of the parents who's a parent on one of the kids on Leo's team, who's like a big basketball dad. He has two older sons. They're twins at play. And, you know, Ray and I are watching the game, and he, you know, leans over and says to us, he says, hey, you know, see that kid so-and-so, that number playing against, uh, you know, guarding my son? He said, yeah. Um, And this is a kid that's seven years old. He said, yeah, uh, his mom is homeschooling him now, uh, and his dad plays basketball with him and does drills with him four hours a day. He's being homeschooled so they can focus four hours a day every day during the week on basketball. And what this father's banking on is um, his kid being able to get a um, college basketball scholarship. Wow. Uh, yeah. I hope the kid likes it as much right. as the father wants him to like it. I hope right. he stays healthy. All sorts of variables right. that go into that. Yeah. Um, so if anyone out there is thinking about this, just remember, it's just it's not about you and your hoop dreams. Your child may wake up one day and say, you know, that was fun, but I really don't want to do that anymore. Right. right. <laughs> so. So um, I want to I want to switch the subject a little. It still has to do with with your family, but I want to talk a little bit about a different angle on your family, and that is the blended nature of mm-hmm. your family. Mm-hmm. In that, as we've said, you were married to Greg Anthony. You guys have Cole and Ella, and both you and Greg have remarried. You to Ray, and you guys have Leo, and Greg is married to Cherie mm-hmm. and has Tyson, Tyson and, and Naomi. Naomi, and so. What I've said to you in many occasions is how impressed I am that you all managed to have, be a wonderful family unit. And it is in a world where you hear so much about um, about families that can't do that, that um, that either for whatever reason the parents can't see their way to when their children evolve their way towards embracing the concept of new families. I'm really I would love to just 
here, what would you say to parents who are sort of at the moment where they are separating or they've ended their marriage and they, or, or, or they've just decided to remarry? What are the things that you need to know in order, or do in order to, to try to make that happen? I mean, you can't guarantee it, but what can you sure. do to, to try to help it happen? So, you know, obviously a divorce under the best circumstances has challenges. And then you factor in having kids and that's another layer of complexity. Um, but I think what my um, mindset was, um, we were always going to make decisions based on how can we keep the kids emotionally healthy, uh, number one. Mm-hmm. And then everything else just flowed from that. And mm-hmm. essentially is us being at odds, you know, us arguing and having a contentious relationship was not going to be in the best interest of Cole and Ella. Mm-hmm. And um, and we both got that. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that it was always easy because mm-hmm. it was it definitely was not easy, mm-hmm. you know, but. I was just, I made a vow that I I was just not going to ever say to the kids anything negative Mm -hmm. about their father. Mm -hmm. And I think he did the same of me. Mm -hmm. And then I think we were also very um, fortunate because the partners we chose um, to marry were both really good people as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, which helped (laughs) (laughs) tremendously. I mean, you know, and so uh, Greg's wife, Cherie, the kids have all has, she's just always been loving and supportive of, of Cole and Della treats them like her own and Ray, Mm -hmm. you know, loving, supportive of Cole and Ella, Mm -hmm. you know, and, um, and that's not to say that it's, you know, the, the perfect situation, because there are other types of right, right. issues mm-hmm. just with um, blended families, you mm-hmm, know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that if there's one thing that we got right in the divorce, mm-hmm. you know, the separation, the mm-hmm, divorce, mm-hmm. and then um, each of us eventually remarrying, it was really keeping the kids first not our egos or our feelings. That is key. Um, You know, I often say when I'm talking to uh, friends that are sort of in some sort of conflict, like somebody's got to be the adult here. And it sounds like both of you were the adults there (laughs) and were able to sort of step away from, from whatever you might be encountering to just step back and be an adult and do the right thing. So that, that's really great. That's really, I think that's, that is, really important. I personally have seen, I've seen Ray interact with your kids. I, I mean, I know how much love there is in the entire family. I've, it's easy to see. And so that's a credit to you and right, to Greg right. for, for making that happen. So just a couple of more questions. Now, I got to ask you this on behalf of, of, of moms everywhere. So you've got three children. One is taking up a lot of time in terms of his profession <laughs> thus far. Um, another one on in that same vein, a seven-year-old, and you're a filmmaker. You, <laughs> the, the question is, what gives you confidence as a parent, and how 
do you get all of this? What's the juggling? How do you get it all done? And so how, what, how do you approach it so that you feel like you're, you're confident in what you're doing as a parent and as a professional? Right. Well, um, it's not easy. Once again, it is, it is not easy. And, and, and I don't think I make it look, I don't think I'm one of those people that makes it look easy either because it's can be agonizing for the most part, you know, and it's, it's come down to, uh, scheduling, organizing, you know, a lot of nights where, I just don't get sleep where I only get a couple hours of sleep because uh, I have a deadline. Mm -hmm. And part of my process um, throughout my career as a content creator has been that if I start on a project, whether it's a book, whether it's a television series, whether it's a documentary, whether it's a feature film, whatever, I have just been one of those people that um, I've committed to myself that come hell or high water, I'm going to complete it. Mm -hmm. Right. So what does that look like for someone like me? It it might look really chaotic (laughs) (laughs) and it has been chaotic. There's a method to my madness. Um, I've been doing this long enough now where I have a vision and I've had to wear many different caps in creating content for TV or film or uh, other outlets. Mm -hmm. And I know how to do it now. I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. I also Mm -hmm. am one of those people, one of the expressions I learned from my husband from Ray, you've probably heard him say it, is I I also recognize that I don't know what I don't know. Mm -hmm. And what that's caused me to do uh, is to also constantly be in a position where I'm not afraid to ask for help. <laughs> that is key. That is absolutely being able to, on, on all sides, professionally, but also from a parenting standpoint. I, you know, talk about making it look easy. I don't know. Help is always good. Without a doubt. This perceived nobility of doing it all yourself. I, I don't know where that comes from. And it doesn't make sense to subscribe to that. Sure. And you and okay. I, uh, we are, I'm fortunate and blessed to be able to have help. Right. Because they're the probably the majority of working women um, or, you know, single moms or married moms or whatever, or don't necessarily have the luxury of having help. This is true. Although when I when I'm thinking of help, I'm thinking of help paid or unpaid. I mean, just mm, the ability mm-hmm, to say sure. I need somebody to be in this with me. Sure. I need... It could um, be your village, whatever that right, is. It exactly. could be a family member exactly. that's doing it for free, exactly. a neighbor, an auntie. And you know, you mentioned about the fortunate thing, and, and, and my last question before I get to the bonus round <laughs> <laughs> has to do with that because, like I said, you you and I both, are, we're raising children in households that are different than ours, not different emotionally. I mean, you grew, grew up with a lot of love. I grew up with a lot of love. But... Um, Resource-wise, I um, we've been fortunate. I want to talk about how we raise children confident in their exposure to things, but at the same time n- knowing two things. These are black and brown kids. First of all, that it doesn't matter what resource you have. When you walk in the store, the guy's going. To, there's a good chance the security guard is going to follow you, mm-hmm. first of all. And then secondly, how they can stay hungry because there's a sense that um, having resources makes you less hungry. Now, clearly, Cole has 
defied that because he's, um, in fact, I can't remember where I read this, but someone said he plays like he wants to buy his mama a house, <laughs> which is a great line. <laughs> and so, right. so how do you deal with your children? How do you deal with helping them to be confident, but having them also know that a everybody doesn't have it like this, but more importantly, it doesn't. That's not that important. I mean, the importance is what you do and and what opportunities you make for yourself and others. I right. mean, I, yeah. Well, I mean, part of it, if if I'm hearing you, how do you how do you keep them hungry when they, you know, listen, many of these kids, they grow up, they don't have those economic burdens. Right. Mm-hmm. As let's be candid, the majority of people in this country do. Mm-hmm. So let's just. Right. Exactly. From there, you know, um, as you mentioned, in the case of Cole, Cole's just had this inner drive mm-hmm. um, to succeed. Uh, you mentioned his father played in the NBA, and this is just Cole's makeup. Cole, I don't think he's doing this disrespectfully, but he, with whatever is within him, he looks at Greg's career and he's like, yeah, that's cool and all. He was in the NBA, but I want to be a much better player than mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. You Which know, I'm sure I wanna... <laughs> Greg is fine with. <laughs> and, you know, and, and Greg is fine yeah. with that, and Greg will say you know, that he played – basketball because he did want to get out of the hood. That's mm-hmm. why he was playing it. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. he said he wasn't as passionate about it. Cole's just passionate about it. Mm-hmm. But I think the key to keeping your kid hungry, whether you're in a home of means or not in a home of means, is whatever they're surrounded by, whatever their parents may have achieved through their education and success you have to keep them um, understanding the importance of hard work, mm-hmm. right? So you can't slack on that. And so I will say that with us, with Cole, Ella, and Leo, that is a constant refrain in our household. That is, there's we're never we're never slacking up. I mean, we never. It's it's always. The uh, accountability, 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 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, the importance of you, you got to do your homework. You got I mean, it's it's never you're, you're on easy street and not that you would expect that of any of us because mm-hmm. we know the importance of education for ourselves. What it's you know, what it, opportunities it's given us mm-hmm. and the path it sent us on, but also just from a uh, perspective of you want your child to be intellectually curious. You want your child to have, as they grow into an adult, um, an emotionally, mentally, psychologically, spiritually fulfilling life. Part of that is um, impressing upon them the importance of hard work, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whatever they end up doing. And so I think that that's something that we have emphasized mm-hmm. in in our home. Again, could we always do better? Absolutely. But you set the level of expectation at a high enough point so that everybody has to reach a little for it. I mean, I think that's really important to set expectations. Setting the expectation, making sure that um, they know the importance of working hard. Yes. Hard work is really important. The ability to do that, those muscles cannot atrophy. They, you have that's to right. grow. You have to build them. You have to grow. You're going to need them. <laughs> you're really going to need them. And um, right, setting and you're right. It starts with setting those ec- um, expectations and then also being um, a model mm-hmm. for Absolutely. them, you know, because they see I mean, Cole and Ella and Leo, I mean, they see us getting up and working every day. 
They see us active. They see us reading. I mean, it's just, it is a part of the DNA of our household. Absolutely. So, Crystal, I can't tell you. I just could keep going on and on, but (laughs) I'm going to have to wrap us here. But before I do, we're going to do the GCP bonus round, which I will end every podcast with. So three questions. Okay. First, um, because I do Thoughtful Thursdays and I always put poems in the blog, I'm always looking for more poems. So what's a favorite poem? The shortest poem, and you know this one well. You know, probably know what I'm going to say. It's by Muhammad Ali. (laughs) Me, we. Which is in the entrance of Studio Museum in Harlem, because that is, as I've grown in my work, um, making films and the types of films that I've been doing, they have a social justice um, mission to them. And my commitment to social justice, um, civil rights, is rooted in um, whatever me, Crystal, is doing has no value if I'm the only one benefiting from it. It has to be about the collective community. Not only was that an excellent choice, that was an excellent explanation of the choice. So I really appreciate that. (laughs) Second question, top two favorite children's books. And this is good for you because you probably, you've gone back around in, you've done it once when the kids were older, you've gone back into the children's book cycle with Leo. So any of them stick from the first time or do you have new favorites? So good night moon still remains one of my favorite that just magical magical book and i when i say magical i actually really believe it's a magic book because to this day when i read it when i read it to cole and ella when they're little and when i read it to leo every night i read that book to the kids i thought i saw something different in it (laughs) now i know that was just probably my mind playing tricks on me (laughs) from that lack of sleep (laughs) (laughs) that too Well, I can, I, I love that choice and just a quick, um, insert that will make my oldest daughter very unhappy, but I'll do it anyway. But Tyler, my oldest, loved the book, loved the bunny in the book. And we still, she's 27, we still have bunnies from that book around. The bunny, bunny is very important to her and to us. And so, yeah, that was a magical book. Okay. Very sweet. One more. So here's the thing with Leo, very different from the older kids. He loves the series of books of who was, who, what was these, but he likes the historical biographies for kids. And so that entire series, I probably read 30 of them to him, but the, it's, it's allowing me to go back um, and learn, relearn history. Mm -hmm. Some that I didn't even learn growing Mm -hmm. up. Mm -hmm. So I know it's not one book, but it's just the experience Mm -hmm of um, going back and and you learn so much with historical biography. So cool. There's so many ways that that will manifest itself. You're in a museum. You see Pablo Picasso. He's going to know. That's great. That's really great. And then finally, favorite TV parent. Ooh, favorite TV. It can be current or it can be from back in the day. Hmm. (laughs) Let me think. Um, gosh, that is, that's a tough one, Carol. It can be, if it, it can be a man or a woman, doesn't have to be a. Right, right. Yeah. Um, huh. That's a really good question. TV, could it be film? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. We got a film parent. (laughs) Um, uh, Don Corleone. (laughs) 
Because <laughs> the Godfather series, my favorite of all times. In his children, he raised the archetypes of every person on this planet. Every there's a there's a Fredo, there's a Michael, there's a Sonny. And then there's a Tom. <laughs> and therein and it, it encompasses every personality type in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> Great answer, Crystal. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I'm going to do my little um, end of podcast spiel. <laughs> Thank you for your parenting insights. That's not a spiel. Um, I really hope everyone listening enjoyed the conversation and that you'll come back for more. In the meantime, please check out the Ground Control Parenting blog at www.groundcontrolparenting.com for tons of parenting info and advice. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Ground Control Parenting and on LinkedIn under Carol Sutton Lewis. Please send comments and questions on any of these platforms we want to hear from you. Until next time, thanks, take care, and thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.